0: pain ripping through his lungs, yet he finds the strength to cry out here again, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it's, it's interesting if you track this in the Synoptic Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that this is the first time in those Synoptic, synoptic Gospels that Jesus addresses God without calling him Father. It's, it's the first time here, and something has changed. Something has changed as we observe Jesus crying out to God. And there are some different interpretations of this cry that Jesus makes here in Matthew um that we read. Some say it's a cry of anger or like disbelief or, or frustration, despair. Um, some, some say perhaps it's a cry of loneliness, that um, it's not a complaint that he's actually forsaken, but he feels alone. He feels like he's been left to himself. And I think that these different explanations have some validity. They have some warrant. But maybe another um, explanation, just really simply and straightforward, is that we just take his words at face value. And maybe we just understand this as a cry of genuine rejection. Just a cry of genuine rejection that Jesus is experiencing as he's hanging there on this tree. And, and at The Village, we've been doing this recent series called Scars, where uh, we go into some different uh, topics, and you can blame me, right, because I, I chose this. Uh, we've been going to some heavy things like um, trust betrayed, um, you know, f- family issues, relationships, all these different things. And it's funny, that the thing about preaching is that you actually have to try to apply it to your own life. Um, it works that way, right? So as we've been going, particularly in talking about a trust that's been betrayed, it's funny how in the midst of preparing a sermon, God was doing some real work in my own heart, revealing a lot of stuff and a lot of stuff that I didn't even realize had been there, um, you know, and preached it and stuff and, and just feeling kind of confused. But one of the things he's brought up in the midst of that, um, he just started to bring out all these things, particularly tied to the church where I had felt different things, whether warranted or not, where I felt, um, this experience of betrayal, um, You know, and and the thing is, I've had some people just off the street, I don't even know, like point at me and say, heretic, right? And, you know, that's all cool. You get kind of ticked off. You're like, you don't know me. But the thing, I I think there have been some people where, uh, and these were memories just coming to my mind. Obviously, I need healing here, where people who we've had in our home, or we've made food for it, and my wife has, has like, worked hard to make food for it and serve and, and share bread together and pray together and hug and, and, you know, be close. There's something different when those people are sitting across from your table and just pointing at you and, like, yelling at you that they hate you um, or telling you, like, this is, like, the worst place they've ever been and you're, like, the worst pastor they've ever experienced. I can't believe you believe the stuff you do how could you hurt me like this and and it's funny how these I guess it's not funny I mean but it, it, these things started to come out in my heart and I what I recognized was that um it, the thing about betrayal is it hurts if anyone betrays you but the pain of the rejection experienced in a relationship is in correlation to the depth of that relationship so if you don't know someone and they say something about you i mean it might bother you but you're like, whatever, it just rolls off me. But the closer you feel you are to a person, and when you experience rejection, I think the more amplified that pain is. And, and some of you have probably been there, right? How, how this ties into what we're reading here. I think up to this moment, Jesus may have been forsaken by everyone in this world. And we talk about sharing food together. He just shared an intimate meal with his disciples. And yet, they reject him. They ran away. So, I mean, that, that, that hurt. But up until this point, he was still not alone, though everyone may reject him, because he still always had his father. But in the darkness of the cross, something changed. He was forsaken by God and utterly alone. Um, 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin. And, and as you know those verses, some of us, you know that, right? It's too easy for this to just be a theological truth and, and lose the impact of what happened here. What does it mean that Jesus became sin, that he had to be forsaken? And I've read this for our church before, so don't, don't groan and say, why do you keep repeating ser- stories? It's okay. But This is from a book called When God Weeps by Johnny Erickson Tata, And she describes, again, this is not scriptural, so keep that in mind. She describes perhaps what could have been in a mindset. And as the soldier swings the mallet, the son recalls how he and the father first designed the medial nerve of the human forearm, the sensations it would be capable of. The design proves flawless. The nerve performs exquisitely. Up you go. They lifted the cross. God is on display in his underwear and can scarcely breathe. But these pains are a mere warm-up to his other and growing dread. He begins to feel a foreign sensation. Somewhere during this day, an unearthly foul odor began to waft, not around his nose, but his heart. He feels dirty. Human wickedness starts to crawl upon his spotless being, the living excrement from our souls. The apple of his father's eye turns brown with rot. His father, he must face his father like this. And from heaven, the father now rouses himself like a lion disturbed, shakes his mane, and roars against the shriveling remnant of a man hanging on a cross. Never has the son seen the father look at him so, never felt even the least of his hot breath. But the roar shakes the unseen world and darkens the visible sky. The son does not recognize these eyes. Son of man, why have you behaved so? You have cheated, lusted, stolen, gossiped, murdered, envied, hated, lied. You have cursed, robbed, overspent, overeaten, fornicated, disobeyed, embezzled, and blasphemed. Oh, the duties you have shirked, the children you have abandoned. Who has ever so ignored the poor, so played the coward, so belittled my name? Have you ever held your razor tongue? What a self righteous, pitiful drunk you who molested young boys, peddle killer drugs, travel in clicks and mock your parents? Who gave you the boldness to rig elections, foment revolutions, torture animals and worship demons? Does the list never end? Splitting families, raping virgins, acting smugly, playing the pimp, buying politicians, practicing extortion, filming pornography, accepting bribes, you have burned down buildings, perfected terrorist tactics, founded false religions, traded in slaves, relishing each morsel and bragging about it all. I hate, I loathe these things in you. Disgust for everything about you consumes me. Can you now feel my wrath? Of course, the son is innocent. He is blamelessness itself. The father noticed, but the divine pair have an agreement, and the unthinkable must now take place. Jesus will be treated as if personally responsible for every sin ever committed. The father watches as his heart's treasure. The mirror image of himself sinks drowning into raw liquid sin. Jehovah's stored rage against humankind from every century explodes in a single direction. And, and I would suggest that was the deepest cut made into Jesus. That the one with whom he had spent all eternity in perfect loving communion now had to turn his face away and pour out upon Jesus all the wrath that was due to to a human fallen sinful people and and we we can't misinterpret here um though the father abandoned the son judiciously in in the law he did not abandon him relationally you you might hear that god stopped loving the son that's not true he he always loved him nevertheless it was still a real abandonment it was still a real rejection because that's the heart of the cross and, and it's a mystery, no matter how many movies are made or how many books are written or paintings are made, no matter how gruesome the depiction you can see on a screen or imagine your mind, um, we can't imagine the true nature of the punishment of sin as being rejected by a holy God whom you've known forever in perfect relationship. But the thing is, even as we grasp just how the cross reveals what sin is, the amazing thing, in the midst of all of that suffering and death, man, we are just shown the most glorious picture of God's love. Because um, on the cross, we see that there's a God who understands the problem of sin. Some of you, you look at a sinful, broken world, you're like, does anyone care? And, and what you know, God, yeah, God cares. He sees. He knows. And he's the one that didn't just stand back, but he took action in the form of his son coming to be the ransom for sin, even to the point of his own anguish of his suffering and sin upon himself. Why would he do that? Because of love. Why does he do that for us? Because he loves us. And, and there's a, a pastor, Max Lucato. he writes this. I thought this was pretty good. He's, he says, I can't understand it. I honestly can't. Why did Jesus die on the cross? Oh, I know, I know. I've heard all the official answers to gratify the old law, to fulfill prophecy. And these answers are right. They are. But there's something more here, something very compassionate, something yearning, something personal. What is it? Could it be that his heart was broken for all the people who cast despairing eyes toward the dark heavens and cry the same? Why? Could it be that his heart was broken for the hurting? I imagine him bending close to those who are hurt. I imagine him listening. I picture his eyes misting and a pierced hand brushing away a tear. He who also was once alone understands. And and that's the kind of sacrificial love I would welcome you to consider tonight. If the idea of the cross and Christianity as a removed kind of what something Jesus did, could I invite you to a personal aspect that, yes, It's something that was done regardless of just you, but at the same time, it was also for you. And if you have felt the sting of rejection, if you are feeling the sting of abandonment, if you're feeling the the wounds of death and loss and misery, can I welcome you to a God who doesn't look from afar, but he enters that to receive your pain upon himself so that you could be made whole. Bow your heads with me for a moment, and we're going to, um, Pastor Jeremy's going to lead us into some time of the Lord's Supper and receiving from the table. Um, a- as we do that, can I just ask you to pray wherever you're at right now in, in your life? And I'm guessing a room like this, we just have a whole bunch of different people represented here. Um, whether you know Jesus or not, maybe this is the first time you've been in a church in a long time or, or first time ever, maybe. And can I welcome you to a faith that we talk about that's not just about trying to be a better person? not just about feeling guilty about how jacked up your life is, but about understanding a God who sees all, knows all, feels all. He knows you better than you know yourself. He knows your pain. He knows what you are enduring right now. And he doesn't say, just take care of it. Be stronger. He enters it to be with you. Ultimately, to the point of this thing we call the cross. So can I ask you to sit on that? And we're going to sing. We're going to receive communion. But... Can I ask you, wherever you're at in your life now, could you receive that for yourself? Whether it's been 30, 40, 50 years since you heard this message, or maybe it's the first time tonight, receive this message for yourself. Thank you, Pastor Dan, for reminding us of the gruesome suffering of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, on Calvary's cross. For there were